In terms of its primary aims, I think that Spike Lee's 1992 film Malcolm X accomplishes two things. One is an accomplishment in the moment in 1992, and the other is an accomplishment in terms of an innovation and extension of the themes of his early films. In the moment, what it proved, and this is something that I think uh, is still important to underscore, is that Spike Lee was capable with a budget, with an epic vision, with the, the actors on screen capable of elevating cinema in that way. He was capable of really being the best of the best in the genre of biopic. I don't think that we can find a better biopic than Malcolm X. Spike Lee's attention to detail, the smoothness of his storytelling, and the performances he gets out of everyone, in particular uh, Denzel Washington and Angela Bassett, really show something new about his capacities as a director that we hadn't yet seen. And as I always say to my students, and I'll say here again, it is really important to think about how in a five-year period Spike Lee had made films as different as She's Gotta Have It, School Days, Do the Right Thing, every film, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, and Malcolm X, every film is so different. It's different in terms of its aesthetic, in terms of the kinds of stories it wants to tell. And while he holds on across his career to so many of the same actors, he nevertheless is able to get very different performances out of them to get them to tell very different stories about black bodies, black people, and black life. And to be able to do the, that same kind of work in a biopic with the kind of polish and finesse that Malcolm X has is for me one of the really extraordinary parts of Spike Lee's filmmaking, or uh, moments in Spike Lee's filmmaking. It's really just an extraordinary film and an extraordinary expression of and confirmation of his genius. But it also is more intimate to his early filmmaking and the themes that dominated it around the formation of masculine identity. That formation of masculine identity in Malcolm X, as I said previously, confirms a lot of the same themes in terms of thinking about masculine identity formation in, uh, as generated through relations men have to one another and very particular kinds of relationships that then uh, requires towards women. Uh, but also, and this is where I think it connects very deeply with Mo Better Blues and its outro, uh, the connection between uh, alternative forms of masculine identity formation and domesticity. And domesticity here not as a sort of abject or conventional or conservative space, but rather a place of, of new kinds of self-expression. And I think that sense of self-expression keeps, for me, keeps Spike Lee's appeal in these early films to domesticity. It keeps that from being... Um, you know, sort of family values or, or, you know, any kind of conservative trope along those lines. I think he's really trying to say something different there, that there's something about racial violence and anti-blackness as a sociogenic condition of black men's lives that is transformed by a different kind of relationship to women and therefore a different kind of relationship to other men and to children. 
And so the domestic sphere becomes in that way uh, transformative. And I don't, don't quite want to say revolutionary. I think that's too far. But transformative in really profound and perhaps even radical ways. It certainly in Malcolm X and Mo Better Blues is portrayed in radical ways that it uproots or pulls up by the roots the previous lives of, of Bleak and of Malcolm X and sets new roots and allows a different kind of person to grow out of that. And one of the things I really like about Malcolm X, as I said previously at the end of the, the piece uh, on, uh, first piece on Malcolm X, is that it tells a story about alternative masculine identity formation that also is a broad story about black identity formation, right? And in that way, delinks these notions of self-invention and self-creation and reinvention. It delinks that from simply the dynamics of, of masculine identity. In that way, I think that Malcolm X is for Spike Lee in the end, although during the film, this is not the case. He's clearly a, a specifically a man right, in terms of his journey of, of masculine identity formation. I do think that in the end, Spike Lee, and this is part of his epic consideration of the life of Malcolm X, right, epic in, the, in terms of telling a story of a people, a story of a people to come, a story of a people in the future, that Spike Lee delinks that from gender and allows uh, Malcolm X to have the kind of transformative presence that allows anyone right, across the Black Atlantic to declare, I am Malcolm X. And in that way, I think Spike Lee accomplishes something really important in terms of extending and transforming and deepening his meditations on what it means to form masculine identity or Black identity in an age of such virulent and violent anti-Blackness, an age in which we still work. And so the film remains relevant uh, for all of those reasons. So I think the film, in the end, you know, 90% or more of our consideration of it really is about that. The mastery of the biopic genre, what it says about Spike Lee's creativity and capacities as a director, and um, what he does in Malcolm X in terms of extending his meditations on masculinity and domesticity. But there's also the question and I think uh, Malcolm X helps clarify it, is what is the kind of politics that Spike Lee is interested in? What are the kind of politics that he sees as transformative of uh, the abjection of black life, right? The transformation of black life out of conditions of, of abjection, marginalization, and suffering into something more. Now, in that, I don't think that Spike Lee is trying to say, anything like, you know, black people are this and could be that, right? That being a sort of some version of freedom or liberation or transform possibility. I think he's actually saying something quite different and Mo Better Blues makes that clear for me, which is that despite all of this abjection, all of this suffering, the sociogenesis uh, that anti-blackness puts into play in terms of internalized self-hatred, self-doubt, incomplete uh, create a sense of creation of self and community that despite that there is always at the same time parallel embedded within all of that black cultural production black beauty 
black joy, black happiness, and black meaning making. And so, you know, if you think of Mo Better Blues, Spike Lee doesn't have to step outside the jazz club in order to demonstrate all of that. That when when Shadow and Bleak play together, right, as I had said previously, with the capacity of two black men being able to stand together in loving relationship rather than antagonistic relation, uh, a struggle over the phallus, he is saying something there when they play that song, which is a blues song, Mo Better Blues, right? That the blues song is about the reckoning with suffering, the re reckoning with, with existing inside a system that produces blackness as an abject category and making it into something beautiful, something enjoyable, something that makes both identity and collective experience beautiful and uh, full of new possibilities. And I think that that politics is exactly what he sees in the end in Malcolm X's life. So my emphasis in the previous piece and even in the beginning here on Malcolm X as a story of, of, of invention and reinvention is, you know, for that reason, uh, or in that way, a connection that Spike Lee has across all of his films through Malcolm X. That Malcolm X is an embodiment as an historical figure in this profound and epic fashion of exactly the kinds of things that have made beauty, joy, culture, and possibility possible under conditions of anti-blackness, right? Out of the sociogenic principle of anti, or, or condition of anti-blackness is the principle of self-invention and reinvention that also transforms community and possibility. And in that way, it always strikes me when I watch Malcolm X and think about its politics, that he's very much, Spike Lee is very much like Malcolm X. For all of their naming of systemic problems and issues, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, clear, uh, obviously, in Malcolm X's speeches and writings and Spike Lee's own setups in his films in terms of, you know, the conditions that he will evoke, you know, the, the, the neighborhood, uh, when we get to it, uh, Red Hook Summer, I think in particular is profound this way, the uh, reflections and, and meditations on abandonment, how, how, how black communities have been abandoned and gentrification and economic distress. These are always a part of his films. He's always then talking also about the white police officers, the white gentrifiers, um, and all of those ways that systematic problems produce and reproduce the ideological condition we call anti-blackness, right? Or ideological foundation we call anti-blackness. But in the end, Spike Lee, I think like Malcolm X, does not immediately address those as, well, then the response is to have a soul or even a first focus on uh, systematic problems in transformation. That's not to say that those don't linger in the foreground, that they aren't consistently present, acknowledged, and confronted. I think both Malcolm X and Spike Lee absolutely share that. They, they keep it in the foreground. They have it as part of their discourse. But it's always interesting to me the way both Spike Lee and Malcolm X, because I do think at bottom, this is his political vision and his, meaning both of them, I think they share this political vision, that black people can't wait. 
for systematic change. And so the question is less, how do we think about revolution at the level of, say, you know, abolition of capitalism or abolition of carceral logic and the police? And, you know, it's not that kind of reflection. And, and I think for that reason, some people don't really like Spike Lee films. And I think in the end, probably aren't totally satisfied with Malcolm X's own political execution uh, as, as, a, as a leader and thinker, right? But what they do focus on, both of them, is the 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 so question of of how to live, pending those massive so, social and political revolutions, and all that really comes back down back to is the capacity for self change, right? And the way self change is a contagion. So when this for me is the political meaning of, of I am Malcolm X that spreads across the Black Atlantic at the very close of the film, Malcolm X. When children and adults are saying, I am Malcolm X, I am Malcolm X, I am Malcolm X. It's not, I have this systematic diagnosis of the possibility of whatever. Rather, the I am Malcolm X is an extended, an extension of the vision of self-reinvention and its power and its capacity. That is that, you know, that, that it, this is a contagion, that Spike Lee's reckoning of and rendering of Malcolm X's life and vision and what it tells us is supposed to be contagious. And that way I've always thought that the, the marketing that surrounded the film, uh, you know, however crass it may have seemed to people, was very consistent with the message of the film, right? Which is that it was a way of setting in motion the contagious character of Malcolm X's vision of life and its possibilities. That to literally wear the X insignia was to say to yourself, I am Malcolm X, which was to say to yourself, I can be different. I can remake my life. And I can remake my life in a way that makes others remake their lives. And that sense of contagion is so important to me in, in, in Malcolm X and in Spike Lee's filmmaking generally. I think, you know, in the, you know, at bottom when, when he ends school days with wake up and that becomes, you know, a recurring phrase across his films. Um, and the first thing that he was really known for, right, this call to wake up, that wake up, doesn't have content except to be the imperative to wake up, right? In other words, self-invention is not an imperative to invent in a certain way, but rather to embrace this thing called self-invention and reinvention, maybe as an infinite task or maybe as a moment to pull oneself out of the depressive conditions under which black people are forced to live in an anti-black society. Now, when I see Spike Lee and Malcolm X in that way, I think also about how that requires both a sense of, of connection to community, something that I think Spike Lee had tried to do in his early films by touching on so many different aspects of black people's lives, at least in the Northeast. I mean, he's very New York City oriented. 
but the way those senses of community, right, in a college campus, um, in Crooklyn, which I'll talk about next, um, in a sort of working class or, you know, lower middle class community, um, do the right thing, just everyday people across different class lines and so forth. The way he touches on all of these different class groups and all of these different ways of living as black people is to embed one in the same vision in each of these places and to say that these possibilities for reinvention are everywhere and always that they are not about people in a certain kind of condition but are really features of life's possibility at every turn this for me is is spike lee's existential moment right to see something about the black human condition right not just the human condition broadly but the the human condition for black people in uh places of of such intense anti-black uh institutional and and political structures you know how what does it mean to live right what does it mean to make a meaningful life and so spike lee turning to malcolm x for me is a kind of confirmation right he sees in malcolm x's own story the story of possibility for all black people and again i think that ossie davis's uh, eulogy read at the close of the film uh, over just this like, beautiful montage of, of photographs that are so so really just expertly filmed by Spike Lee. I don't know how else to put it. It's, just, it's a masterful part of the film uh, emotionally, but also visually. That that's what that is, right? He was our, he was our. This phrase, he was our. Like, how do we make sense of that eulogy and how does that eulogy structure the entire film? That Malcolm X was our. And what does that mean for Malcolm X to be owned as part of the collective rather than as an exemplary life, but part of the collective life of black people? It's to say that he was exceptional, of course. That's why you would make a biopic about Malcolm X. He leads an exceptional and different kind of life than most people. But he is also, as Davis says, our for African-Americans. That is, that he is embedded in the story of African America in some very deep and profound way. That his life is born of racial terror, that starts the film. And that other forms of life are possible in light of that racial terror. That is the development of the film. That is the arc of his own moral, ethical, and political awakening through Islam uh, in multiple iterations, not just the Nation of Islam, but also his departure from the group and his visit to uh, time in Mecca and how that transformed him. That way that Malcolm X embodies the best, but also a new path or a profoundly uh, uh, important path, or maybe just a well-lit path that has been the story of African-America, right? Of black people in the United States for centuries that is abject conditions, racial terror, different possibilities opened up, invention, reinvention, and reinvention again. And in each of these existential movements of reinvention, then I think a cultural politics comes about, but also what I think I would just call and maybe a boring and oblique phrase, uh, an existential politics. The way sometimes it is just enough to say, we have transformed a sense of self 
and that sense of self in its transformation is a contagion and innovates and shifts and change changes and makes better and more possible other forms of life for black people in this place and in making different possibilities for black people in this place so saturated at every level with anti-blackness is to say something really important that Spike Lee is always trying to say in these early films that is a lot is possible not everything but so much as possible if we think in this existential register this cultural social and political register about black people invention reinvention and the meaning of life outside the white gaze what would it mean to think about that contagion between black people rather than a contagion that has to be a broader interracial contagion right that transforms through i don't know becoming a socialist uh, nation or you know reparations or you know any kind of racial justice and national reckoning pending that there is still life and what does life mean outside the white gaze i think what it means outside the white gaze for spike lee is that all kinds of ways of constructing a life are possible but to make that possible one has to withdraw from the white gaze recalibrate and connect to a life lived in its complexity so it's not a simple life live a life between black people and think about what possibilities for self are there and those possibilities are across his early films but in no way it could it ever be as epic and contagious as the way he reckons with those human possibilities with those black possibilities between black people it is never more profound than when it's done through the movement from Malcolm Little and Detroit Red to Malcolm X to Malik Shabazz